forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. All right, this is it. This is how a podcast starts, everyone. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphone so the listener knows what you sound like and tell us somewhere they may have seen your name pop up on their television screens. Um, and Nancy, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Nancy Q. Um, I was an assistant for many, many years before I got into the uh, uh, 2014 Disney writing program. Um, and then from there, I got staffed onto Revenge. So you may have seen my name on there. Um, if not, uh, I also did a stint on Castle and uh, CBS's MacGyver, and currently um, I am working on the CW's Batwoman, uh, our season two, and doing some developing. Uh, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris Sheridan. I um, started out in uh, half-hour comedy, worked on a bunch of different shows, was an assistant for four years and worked on a bunch of different shows, ended up on Family Guy in 98, where I pro uh, predominantly stayed for many, many years. Um, I recently uh, created and currently show run a new show called Resident Alien, which just started a little while ago. Yeah, congrats. Um, Thanks. Where are you? I assume you're all done with the first season. Is that right? We, yeah, I actually just finished post on the first season uh, last Friday. So we're, we've aired now the first six. So we have four more left to air. Um, and Emily and Sarah, I'll let you uh, introduce each other, yourselves, however you want to do it. Sure. Um, hi, I'm Emily Chang. Sarah Amini is my writing partner. Um, and we kind of got into it in a roundabout way, probably in a more non-traditional way than um, uh, Chris and Nancy. Um, we're both actors and that's how I started. We're both multi-hyphenates. And so, um, yeah, I started as an actress, uh, but I always wrote kind of as a side thing. And then um, we ended up both writing on season two of Twilight Zone for the reboot by Jordan Peele and uh, working on a bunch of development and other stuff as well. And I have nothing to add except that I'm Sarah and this is the sound of my voice. Um, I want to start by asking about um, Nancy and Chris. It seems like you both sort of came up through the assistant route. Um, and I'm curious to hear about uh, and I know the listeners are curious to hear about like taking that path and and even just getting that first assistant job. Let's start there. How did you get a foot in the door? Uh, and either of you who want to jump in, go ahead. Uh, I got my route in in a very awkward way. Um, I was living in New York at the time. Uh, I just graduated uh, college there right after September 11th. And so my ex-girlfriend at the time had currently moved out to L.A., so uh, she, we broken up, but I didn't know anybody in LA. And so like, we were like, you know, I think it was like her and I and one other college friend of ours. Um, and she had gotten some sort of internship that I had helped her find through some like flyer at the college. Uh, so she had heard of like somebody who was looking for a PA, a post PA, cause she was an editor um, and just sort of had passed my name along. So it was just like, you know, but I had come out here and that was sort of my first real job, but I'd done a lot of, I think I probably did about a year of just um, doing as many odd jobs as I could to make money, you know what I mean? Uh, while in doing some set PA work, just sort of like scrapping until I could gain some momentum. But that was sort of really how I landed my first uh, PA job after being out here for, I think, probably a year and just like working every job that could give me any sort of money to live on uh, at the time. And certainly I think, 
as you get your first job, um, the momentum gets a little bit, hopefully better as you sort of can do your job and show that you can perform at your job. And from there, uh, I got other assistant jobs. Um, a lot came from that first job. I, if, if you had to look back on sort of, I've been, I was an assistant for, I think, close to maybe 11 or 12 years. Um, and a lot of like the course of, you know, my trajectory can in fact be traced back to that first job. You know, from there, I was a post PA. Uh, the the person I worked for, the post producer I worked for, really liked me. Took me on to our next show, and we worked very closely with the writers' office. And so a lot of the writers I was able to meet, they were able to then take me on to other shows as uh, an assistant, and I was able to um, sort of work my way up the ranks. Uh, one of those writers, two of those writers actually from the first job, uh, ended up putting my name up for a job at Shondaland, where I sort of then became an assistant to Betsy Beers. Um, and I did about like seven years there, you know, so that was sort of like a big part of my formative growth and a large part of my uh, learning, you know, sort of the growth of my writing career. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it is like you take the job you can, you learn as much as you can, you do the best job you can, and you hope you just sort of meet people who, you know, aren't terrible people. And I just lucked out that a lot of the people I worked with were, you know, sort of really awesome people who took me under their wing. That's great, and I, I want to pick up there uh, in a sec. But Chris, let's get the um, let's get the facts down. Um, what was what was your first sort of entree into the business, and then how did you start to transition to actually writing? Yeah, I was living in New Hampshire. I had graduated college, and I was living at home with my parents, uh, dating a girl from high school, and uh, bartending and making like eighty dollars a night, thinking I was the richest person in the world, and. Uh, I was sort of at that place. I knew I wanted to get into TV, but I didn't know. And this is 1992. So pre-internet, it's very hard to get information about anything at that point. So I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be a TV writer. But I was, you know, at the time, 24. And I'm like, I got all the time in the world. How old are these guys? Like 50, 60? So I remember Cheers was doing their like 200th or 250th or something like that episode. And they were at a bar called The Bull and Finch in Boston, which is what the show was based on. And they were all the, the writers and the, the local channel was doing a thing on them. The writers and the actors were all there and they're getting drunk and stuff. And they showed these two executive producers, uh, Dan O'Shannon and uh, Tom Anderson. Um, and they were the guys running the show. They, I think, probably were 26, but they looked like they were 18. And I was like, wait, these, these people are running Cheers and they're like my age. Like, I got to get out of there. So I have to get out there. So I, I, uh, you know, gave notice at the bar and uh, that May, I, uh, like a week before the riots, I moved out to, uh, to LA. So I, uh, got there, you know, similar to, uh, to Nancy, just scrambling, trying to get work. I remember there was a payphone on the corner of sunset and Barrington. I was living on a, on a friend's couch, uh, on, uh, in Brentwood. And then there was a payphone, uh, which many people don't even know what that is anymore. But I remember just getting on the payphone and just cold calling, you know, NBC. How can I work on Cheers? And they're like, well, we have a page program. And but literally the phone book, just calling numbers and uh, put resumes out there. I still have all these rejection letters that I had gotten. And uh, ultimately, a friend of uh, my uncle from years ago was out there working on a show. And I called him up and said, can we have lunch and asked him and he his cousins were starting a show. So. They passed my resume along to this producer and, and I went in and I, I think out of anything else, I think what she liked about me was that she knew that I drove out here with no job and was sleeping on a couch, making, you know, calls from a payphone, which told her I probably was a hard worker. So they hired me and 
you know, you just, you just work hard. You know, you, I got there before everybody. I left after everybody. I tried to learn everything. I wanted to be a writer's assistant because I knew at that point that, that getting in the room with the writers was a great way to learn it. So even when I was a PA, I would show up early and I would grab the scripts off the shelf and I would just type them all in and try to get my typing faster and faster. <laughs> and, uh, and, and an opening opened up about four months later as a writer's assistant, I was able to talk my way into it and, uh, you know, and just worked really hard. And one of the things that I have noticed at, on that end, and then also when I was in another position of hiring, is that you'd be surprised, as hard as it is to get your foot in the door, people finally get their foot in the door you'd be really surprised how few of those people work really hard. Uh, it, it always amazes me that there's so few people out there who really put a lot of effort in. And if you do work hard, people will notice and want to help you. So I found you know, myself working hard and, and I think people appreciated that I was putting the effort in and they were willing, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a writer? Do you have a script? You know, So I worked on um, a couple of different shows and as, as an assistant, you know, you want to ideally be on a show that's going to be around for a while and you can sort of move up the ladder, but certainly then that didn't happen. If you're lucky to get on a show that lasted all season, you know, it would probably be canceled after that. And that happened a couple of times. Um, and then I was on a show as a writer's assistant that had just gotten canceled. And I got a call from a woman named Yvette Lee Bowser, um, who was running Living Single at the time. She was looking for the other writer's assistant who happened not to be there because she was going to hire her for her living single. And I said, you know, the other writer system is not there. And she said, well, what are you doing? Are you looking for a job? And I'm like, yeah, actually. So I went over there and I was an assistant at living single for two, two more years. And then she bumped me up on, in the third year to writer. So then I became a writer over there for, you know, a year and a half and that was canceled. And I was looking again, but same thing. I mean, you just, you work hard and you hope, like Nancy said that, you know, if you get lucky enough to have good people around you, and you're going to have bad people too, but focus on the good people and be good to everybody and work really hard. And, and, you know, people will notice it and try to help you. Um, I want to ask, um, and, and I'll lead off with uh, Emily and Sarah on this question, but I think you've all gone through this sort of transition period where you're being asked to be taken seriously as a writer, in addition to the thing you are doing, whether it's acting or as an assistant or whatever. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that and how you start to present yourself in this new light. Emily and Sarah, was there like a magic script for you? Was there, you know, uh, was it, you know, a question of being in this business long enough that you were taken seriously when you said this is what we want to do as well? Well, I mean, I do remember, I remember having some sort of general casting meeting with somebody at some network years ago, and they were like, well, you need to choose. I was like, I'm a writer and I'm, a, I'm an actor and, and I produce and I, you know, I've made my own short films. I've done all sorts of things. And they were like, you've got to choose one and stick with it. And then, you know, later figure it out if you, you know, once you're rich and famous or something. And I was like, okay. And I tried to do that. And I sort of tried to suppress that writer side of me because I was like, no, they told me I couldn't do that. And then, um, and then it wasn't until I met Sarah and we, we, in an acting class, funnily enough, and we we realized, you know, hey, we both write and we're both daughters of immigrants and we have a lot in common. Like, let's mm -hmm. let's talk. Let's um let's just figure something out. Let's just make let's shoot something for fun. So what we ended up doing was write a web series. Mm -hmm. And uh we just decided like, well fuck it. No one's no one's paying us for this. <laughs> we're, we're, we're no one this isn't gonna go on, you know, we're not gonna get like notes or something. So let's just do what we think is the funniest 
thing and let's write whatever we think is funny. And that was right around the time, that was right before the election of 2016. So there was a lot happening and we had a lot to talk about. Um, and we just really were like, how do we talk about Trump and, and what's going on in the world and still make it funny and, and make it viral and blah, blah, blah. So uh, once we um, did that, I think we, we created something that was very true to ourselves and very true to our senses of humor without having to think at all about what's marketable or what's, you know, going to sell or something like that. Um, and I don't know, I, I kind of think that that's, that was the most authentic thing in our, vo in our voices and people recognize that. Um, and, you know, we, we ended up having kind of like a, a screening, a, a theater screening full of our friends and family. And then some, one of the EPs from, um, Key and Peel were there and they were like, Hey, that's, that's a cool idea. Have you guys thought about turning into a show? And that's where it kind of snowballed. And then we started to realize, Hey, maybe our voices as actors and writers is, you know, maybe that's a legitimate thing and we can be multi-hyphenates. Yeah. I don't really remember the exact time. I was trying to think as Emily was talking, when was the moment where we got really confident about it? Because I remember the first cu couple of generals that we started to go on after the web series, um, it sort of had won awards at uh, New York Television Fest and Independent Television Fest and um, the NBC Shorts. And so we were starting to go on all these generals and in all these meetings, you would say, we're actors who write like question mark? question mark? and there was never we weren't it wasn't like a statement it was just very like we will do what you think is best and I don't remember quite where that moment was for us I don't know if, do you remember Amber we were where we got really no you know what it was uh, so, so we ended up getting uh Sony on board as our our studio um, and Will Arnett's company signed on as our executive producer. It was it was great. And I think once once Sony signed and we're like, we want you guys to star in the show. I think that's when I was like, oh, yeah, we can do both. <laughs> and it was a, it was like a light bulb moment. Um, and sometimes it's a it's it's a handicap because I think sometimes people think coming in they're like, oh well, this actor just wants to star in everything that they write, which is not true for us. Um, but I think, yeah, we're, we're coming into it a little bit more confidently now and being like, no, 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 we, we're creators. We create lots of things and, um, whether or not we're also actors is kind of irrelevant. Yeah. But it also it was this kind of really sweet moment when Sony hopped on board as our studio, because we had created the web series out of a need or out of a lack actually of the roles that we were seeing for actresses of color at that time. So everything that we were auditioning for, like I'm uh, half Iranian. And so all the stuff that I was going out for Middle Eastern wise at that time was all related to ISIS. And I was like, I just can't do this shit anymore. And Emily was going through a similar trajectory where everything just felt so limiting and uh, stereotypical. So it really came out of uh, a need for us to feel seen, but also sort of write what we wanted ourselves to play, write the roles we wanted to see ourselves in. And so, so when Sony, you know, came back and were like, we want you guys to, to star in the show that you also are going to write. I think, yeah, you're right. That's probably the moment for us. We're like, okay, we can declare that we are multi-hyphenates and we don't have to choose. We're going to do both. And some months we do more acting and some months we do more writing and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, let me, let me ask the same question. Um, Nancy, as you were coming up as an assistant, like, 
how do you make it known that this is not the end all and be all for you? You want to you want to do what your boss does. Um, and how did you start to how did people start to hear that and and get how did you get those opportunities? Very quickly, I want to say, Sarah and Emily, I love that story. And I feel like I don't know, like I think there's different mindsets of like whether you should like you can or can't be multi-hyphenates. And I feel like you bring so much extra skill set and character and like a different way of thinking to a normal room of like, I don't want to direct. I can't act for shit. Like I don't want to do those things. But like you come at it with such a different mentality that I can only imagine, you know, like if you're a director, you come in with an idea of like a you know, different idea of how to tell the story. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I always feel like that only adds 100%. to the story and that there's not like a limited amount of room. Like only writers can write. Like that's bullshit. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. people who can tell story and we're all in the creative business of telling good stories. And so we're trying to tell good stories. And so um, anyway, good for you guys. I, I love that. And I'm, you know, it's, I just love that I do think it, I do think it helps a lot with dialogue. You know, every time we're trying to figure yes. out a scene, yeah. just we yeah. act it out and we're like, oh, this person mm -hmm. would never say this. Like, you know, and, and I've heard that they did that on um, Freaks and Geeks as well. And it was just sort of like stretching it out and, and seeing how naturally it would come up. Right. As opposed to me, who like runs into like the bedroom now that we're in COVID and I like I'm trying to recite a line to my wife who is not in this business. And it's just like a disaster. You know what I mean? It's, she's like, this is all terrible. And I'm like, I can't do that anyway. Um, but uh, to your question, Ben, I think a lot of it is um, and I think Sarah and Emily sort of touched on it a little bit, too. Uh, a lot of it is just being brave enough to say that this is something you want to do. You know what I mean? At least it certainly was for me. You know, I'm, I'm first generation Chinese American. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was, you know, always wanting to do this, always having an interest in writing. Like I went to college for writing and then just sort of was like, I need a practical skill set. And I think a large part of stepping into that role and positioning yourself to be seen that way is um, and it takes time and it's scary. But to be willing to be vulnerable, to put yourself out there and declare that, you know, and be willing enough to say, like, I want to do this. I'm willing to put it on the line or at least try to put it on the line. Um, and I think when you start being able to say that, that helps people see you in a different light, you know, and certainly I think too, something that Chris touched on a lot too, um, a way, at least, you know, when I was coming up as an assistant to position yourself to be seen that way is, you know, you do the job that you're given. And, you know, I think we used to say this from when I was an assistant hiring other assistants, like everybody going for these jobs, like you're all exceptionally smart humans, you know, like you're all like, nobody's job is to get coffee for anybody, you know, like you're, you are much smarter than getting people lunch, like, you know, assholes like me lunch, you know what I mean? It's, but if you do that, well, it sort of is an indication to people, okay, like to what Chris said, there's a good work ethic, you know, a large part of that is like, if you can't do that, like when you're a writer, like, can you trust somebody to cover set at 4am, you know, because nobody wants to cover set at 4am outside in the cold. Right. There's always going to be something nobody wants to do. And I think, all those things sort of collectively showcase to hopefully if you're working with good people that, you know, like, oh, there's somebody there, you know, and I think when writers start to take an interest and ask you questions, just don't be afraid to say, like, this is what I want to do. You know, like, hey, you know, I to what Chris said, like, you're reading all these scripts, like, I have a question about something you did in this script. You know, I think like when you start being able to ask those questions and frame the conversation about story that sort of can help them look at you in a different way, you know, and certainly not in the way that like you're pitching them ideas and stuff. But like, if you can, you know, one of the beauty, beautiful parts of being an assistant is you have access to everything, you know? So if you read everything and you look at how a story changes, 
you can start asking a writer if they're like, if you're in the kitchen or, you know, pre-COVID times, like, why did that story point change? Was that a network note? Or like, did something dictate that? You know, I think those are all little things that sort of help start positioning you to be seen as a writer. And um, I was certainly fortunate to be, you know, on a show for a couple of years where like I grew to know the writers. And so like you were able to ask these questions in the downtime, like when you're taking a walk at lunch, you can pick their brains about it. And I think those are all small little ways to start, you know, letting, letting them think of you that way, because, you know, hopefully if you're working with good people, they all know like your end goal is not to like photocopy scripts or, you know, whatever it is, like your end goal is to do something in this business. So I think most people want to help, you know, so it's just putting yourself in a position to be, you know, to, to showcase like what you can give them and sort of showcase like that you're paying attention and that you care about the product they're making. And you can talk about it in a way that then makes them think, oh, like they have something to say. You know, I, I think that that was sort of something that helped me, you know, as, especially in Chandaland, like they were very good about, you know, letting the assistant sort of like listen in on things and participate in things. And so like, those are all just little ways to just reframe the idea of who you are. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a brilliant point. Yeah. Nancy, if I can jump in real quick, I think that is brilliant. I think be, you, instead of just going up to a writer saying, hey, I want to be a writer, being able to comment specifically on, you know, in the, in the kitchen or whatever on a network note or a script change or did you ever consider doing this with the story? That tells them a couple of things. It tells them that you're interested and you have something to say and you're smart about it. I think that's really, really smart. That's really good. That's really good advice. Uh, I want to I want to skip ahead now uh, just to ask all of you about some of the recent stuff you've worked on, uh, where we've most most recently seen your name, and the thing you know I mean, we've heard I've been doing this podcast for a long time, and the advice that uh, always comes to writers is um, show your passion, write what you know, write yourself, um, and that can mean a whole slew of things, right? And but that's what I want to ask all of you. Um, and Chris, let's start with you and let's talk about Resident Alien for a sec. Um, I'm curious to hear about like how is this your show? How are you the guy to bring this show to the people? What of you is in this show? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You know, it goes back to one of the things Emily was saying earlier, which you know what Emily and Sarah did with with your web series, where you got to this point where you're like, let's just do what makes us laugh. You know. I think there's that is so important because that target that you're sort of taught to try to hit out there in the business changes every millisecond. So you could, you know, what what is the business looking for? Oh, uh, buddy comedies. Okay, start writing that. Within four weeks, it's you know, it's grandparents and grandchildren, and then then what? You know, we early on on Family Guy, and this is a very long time ago. We had just started, and we were a couple of years in, and we were clearly getting canceled because we had nine time slots in like, you know, 10 episodes or something. No one was watching it. I mean, very small group of people were watching it. And we, we knew we were getting canceled. And we finally said, you know what, we're getting canceled anyway. Let's just do what makes us laugh. And we started just doing really weird, dumb stuff. You know, like we did this thing early on where, you know, Peter's running down the street and he falls over and hurts his knee and he just winces and holds his knee for like 30 seconds. Like it's someone would if they fall. so funny. I love it, that. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, and the reason it's funny is because it's like, we, they took the time to animate this. Like, 
like subconsciously you're aware that someone drew this shit, right? And uh, and we did it because it was making us laugh. So we started doing weird stuff like that. And that is one of the things that ended up sort of separating us from The Simpsons, which we were compared to, rightly so, because the show's very similar. But the sense of humor sort of shifted at that point, but it only shifted for the same reason um, that Emily and Sarah made their decision about their web series, which is you get to a point where you're like, if, if I'm not making myself happy, if I'm not making myself laugh, why am I doing this? And I've sort of kept that with me a long time. So when Amblin came to me, because I'd worked with those guys before, um, I, I did a pivot about seven or eight years ago to try to go from half hour comedy into drama. And so I spent a couple of years developing a drama spec because I couldn't just go into drama because no one would accept me because I've only been, had done a half hour comedy. Um, and so I had to write a spec to sort of show that I could do it. And I went out with it and I didn't sell it, but it did open some doors. And then Amblin had this graphic novel, um, called resident alien, which they sent to me and said, would you be interested? And I read it and I really loved it. It, it was a little bit different than the TV show, but at, at the heart of it, it's an alien who crashes to earth and observes human nature. And I took that mindset that I had learned back on family guy um, of, I'm just going to, I don't know what they want. I'm just going to do a show that I would want to watch. And then, cause I know the process I had been through it many times before and I had sold pilots and I had tried to hit the target and there's nothing worse than going against your gut and writing something, not that you want to write, but you think they want. And then you do that and then it doesn't get picked up anyway. And it's like, well, why did I just waste a year and a half doing that? I figured this thing's never going to go. I'm just going to entertain myself and write what I like. And then when they say we're not going to do it, I'd be like, I don't care. I had fun doing it. So that was my attack going into it. And I always wanted to do a TV show. A lot of TV shows don't really do it. Movies do it more. That just is a has that isn't just one thing that might have dramatic moments, but you know, emotionally connective moment moments um, have comedy in it. Maybe have a cinematic look. And try to do a show in a world that sort of fits all these things. And I wrote it towards that. And I knew it was a bunch of different genres, which I knew would be hard to sell it. But I was enjoying writing it. So I just kept going along, you know, those, you know, that route. And I did a bunch of rewrites for the network. And, and they, because of my background, kept sort of saying, you, you know, don't be afraid to make it funnier. Because I'm thinking like, well, I'm shifting over to drama now, right? So I'm just going to do this dramatic thing. And they're the ones that kept saying, no, no, we didn't hire you because, you know, you were on Family Guy. So make this, you know, they're, and they had these expectations of me. Um, but they were kind of right. And they were tapping into, you know, it's basically a dramatic alien story through the lens of, you know, someone who's been running Family Guy for years. And it, and it does create a different weird tone for the show. Um, so... You know, the, the biggest thing for me was I just set out to write something that I enjoyed writing because I didn't expect it to move forward. But uh, but like Emily said, um, I think those are the things that end up being a little special because they have a very a much more specific point of view than if you're trying to make 100 people happy. If you're trying to make yourself happy or you and your writing partner happy, it becomes very narrow. And these days with 500 television shows on the air, I think that really helps you. Yeah, I think that's really smart. And I think it's good advice too for people who are like looking to write a spec pilot. Like write write the thing that only yeah. you can write, write the thing that'll make you happy. 
Um, and I think, by the way, Resident Alien absolutely does that. Like it hits that tone. It's not like other things on TV. It's such a great watch. Uh, oh, thank you. You yeah. achieved your goal. Well, there's a lot of great writers um, in the writers room that were very helpful as well. I'm sure. Um, Sarah and Emily, I, I have two Twilight Zone questions for you. Um, so yes, you can you can field them. Um, okay. <laughs> the first is um, you two are credited with two really great episodes from the second season. Um, tell me the same question, like, how is this you? How are you? How are you two specifically suited to the Twilight Zone uh, and those episodes? <laughs> What's funny is Sarah gets scared of everything. Yeah, I was going to say, how am I specifically suited to the Twilight Zone? Um, we have a joke that Emily is the scarer and I am the scary because she will test everything on me. And I am such like, I haven't seen the last scary movie I saw in the theaters was The Ring. Like I'm not a horror movie person at all. And so <laughs> she will test certain I'm things on like- me. Like, for example, in um, the episode Ovation, I was like, oh, it's about this basically a curse where someone the pop star gets followed around by all this audience is always clapping. And at one point she's entering an operating room. And and I was like, oh, what if the dead, not dead body, the, the cadaver on the on the table starts to clap, even though he's only half dead or half alive. And Sarah was like, oh, no, no. Oh, I hate it. And I was like, oh, yeah. what's going in? <laughs> <laughs> that was the test. I was like, no, I oh. hate that. That's, that's, God, that's terrible. It's too creepy. Yeah. Um, like, uh, how is it us? I, I feel like it's weird because the Twilight Zone is obviously a classic show that's, that's yes. um, had many iterations, but like, I always think of the original amazing Rod Sterling classic, which is um, my favorite I used to watch it as a kid um on like 4th of July when they had those 24-hour uh, marathons um and it scared me so 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 much um but they also weren't just straight horror they they had that kind of strange and uplifting and weird feeling and every episode is different um and that was the fun thing I think about work, working on it it was like Basically, it's an anthology. It's basically an anthology show with a with a, a through line through all of them with with the narrator who is now Jordan Peele. Um, but basically, because of that, we get we get to create a new world for each one. It's almost like writing a pilot each time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I I think at least for Ovation, the one with the applause, that uh came as an idea to us actually where it was about like it was a very general idea about like what if somebody was always followed by applause and that was how we we were able to be like well as actors and performers um we were i think we were able to think about like how crazy put basically to put our our um selves into it into those shoes and be like how would it feel to be on stage performing and have people clap no matter what you did, even if you were like just shitting out terrible crap, or, terrible yeah, stuff, mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. what point do you lose the motivation to create anything? Um, and at what, or, or, you know, would that part of us like sell out and just be like, I don't care. I just want the applause. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's, uh, that's one way we were able to insert ourselves into it. And I think too, you know, um, because I was very, 
I'm speaking for myself, I was very intimidated, you know, because again, my experience is not watching a lot of uh, sci-fi or horror. And, and so, you know, and because the show is so iconic, you know, I was going into it like, oh my God, are we going to be able to live up to this show and, and do a good job? And, and, you know, what was really comforting was that Jordan, you know, he's such a horror buff and a fan, but he also came, came from comedy. I mean, yeah. He did Key and Peel, <laughs> and he's just this hilarious guy. And so it's, that sort of gave me comfort in going, okay, Emily and I, we have most of our experience in writing comedy, but we can bring that and infuse that. Just like Chris said, you know, you can infuse that, your experience and your background and your point of view into these Twilight Zone stories. And that's what was really um, fun for us because at the beginning I was like, I can't. Well, I think that follows the, (laughs) I think that follows the original Twilight Zone. There's, there's humor in it. You know, Rod like there's there's funny stuff in there, even though people think of the original, you know, we always think of like, you know, the pig faces or um, monsters or Maple Street or something like that. But there's a lot of humor in the old one as well. Um, as far as me in the middle, the, the other episode we wrote, um, we are I mean, I'm a huge fan of rom-coms and mm-hmm. I feel like their uh, rom-com and horror doesn't often go together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, that was our way in. I don't know. It's a it's a weird way in, but <laughs> I think yeah. in the end, what it was about the relationship between these two people in the episode, it's uh, a guy hears a voice in his head, and it's a woman who's speaking to him telepathically from thousands of miles away. So it, it becomes like a a romantic comedy of of him and this person in his head. But you're never quite sure is he is he crazy or is there actually a woman out there? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, the way into that was yeah our love of comedy <laughs> rom rom sorry rom coms and just yeah, watching and, that unfold and i think um our initial meeting with with monkey paw when they were looking to hire freelance writers for season 2 you know we came in with a bunch of ideas but the one that we led with was an idea similar to the one that ended up being meet in the middle which was our our the the other of the episode that we wrote it was another and rom-com about like an it was alien, a rom-com. some sort of alien yeah, like an invasion. alien rom-com idea. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it was good that we just, like Chris said, we kind of um, didn't do what we thought they wanted. We were like, hey, we're just going to bring in things that we think are weird and cool and us and that we can kind of execute. And if you pass, you pass. And if, you know, you don't, great. And, um, you know, it just ended up working in our favor. And, and we had such a blast uh, writing um meet in the middle and it and I'm I'm really proud of it Emily's really proud of it it was just it's uh got all the twilight zoney elements of it but it's also really funny and romantic and I don't know I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out yeah it's super weird yeah, yeah. it's weird it's yeah. weird which is but we're weird. us we're weirdos we're- <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we're total weirdos the two of us so we, we couldn't tell um Nancy, I want to ask about uh, working on Batwoman Um, and, you know, the same thing, like, where are you in this show? Um, Are you able to have a voice in this show as, you know, one of however many writers? Um, How is it a personal story for you? Yeah, I mean, I think something that Sarah and Emily and Chris all touched upon, I think, is true nowadays of a lot of entertainment is that there's a lot of cross genre you know what I mean? Like Chris started out in comedy and, and went to a one hour show, but 
you know, a lot of one hour shows these days have a lot of comedy and sort of to what Sarah and Emily are saying, like you guys started out in comedy, but went into this <clears throat> horror genre. I think there's a lot of opportunity in television now, just like th those lines have blurred. Um, and on a show like Batwoman, you know, or even like Castle or something, you know, what's nice about them is on Batwoman specifically, you know, like certainly we're a superhero show. You have to have certain things that you do. You know what I mean? She's got to punch somebody. She's got to fight somebody at some point. She's a superhero. But, you know, you, you, you do have the ability to infuse, you know, if we happen to have a case of the week, you know, like your point of view on what it can be. Um, and certainly in our room, you know, like what drew me to the show um, was she's a queer superhero. Uh, the original incarnation season one, uh, Kate Kane was canonically in the comics uh, queer. Um, Kate Kane left our show, <clears throat> excuse me, in season two. Uh, we have a new character that we've created named Ryan Wilder, who's sort of the opposite of Kate Kane. And I think that just sort of gave us all this breath of fresh air because you know, a lot of like the Bruce Waynes, the Kate Kanes, like they're all these like wealthy people who were able to build this vigilante identity. Our new character, uh, Ryan Wilder, um, came from the streets, you know, like she has street smarts. She doesn't have the money. And so she has a different view of justice and how the justice system fails, you know. And I think at least specifically for us, this season has opened up a lot of conversation um, for the writers in the room to sort of open up about our own experiences with that, you know, like our points of view about that. What does it mean to have a black queer superhero? You know, like what does that mean in terms of representation? Um, and I think that informs a lot of the stories that we're trying to tell, or at least that we're discussing. And it opens it up to a much more personal way. Like, you know, for me, a lot of, you know, whether it's, you know, again, like a castle show or a MacGyver show where like it's a spy show or like a Batwoman show, you know, there are these fantastical elements, but so much of it is grounded in like the, why do we care? You know what I mean? Like what about this character is, you know, and they're, what the struggle they're going through is something I'm emotionally connecting to. And I think if we as writers can sort of open ourselves up and hopefully the safety of a room about our own personal experiences, I think that infuses the character with a lot of lived reality. You know, that like by sort of explaining like my queer experience, which is different from another writers on our shows that, the sum of that can be some sort of like Ryan's or Kate's or whoever's, and it makes it feel much more real. And I think that's what connects it to an audience. And so I think you kind of always just have to come from that place of like just being as honest about the story you want to tell and taking a shot, you know, like you can pitch the stories like, you know, may, they may not fit. Um, a good example on our show is uh, we just had an episode air, um, episode four of season two. Uh, and there's a villain on it who's a new villain. Her name is a candy lady. This is a story that one of our writers, Ebony Gilbert, pitched uh, last season. It didn't quite fit in season one, but we all love the story. This villain of a woman who essentially uh, lures um, kids that the world doesn't notice, you know, sort of poor, underprivileged, uh, underserved kids and sort of kidnaps them, you know, sort of part of the, you know, that particular system and how the world just doesn't care about that unless you're a specific kind of child that, you know, might look better on a newspaper, for instance. Um, and that was something that we all loved and it just didn't fit in season one. But once we had a new uh, Batwoman, it reframed that story in a way that we could tell that, you know, that she, you know, as somebody who, you know, came up through a certain system could advocate for this child who was taken and sort of call out the people who weren't paying attention to that. You know, I think that that's sort of a good example of like how you can infuse that personal. And again, like you still have to add a couple of, you know, fantastical comic book elements to it. There's a fight, you know, but that particular truth, I think was something that Ebony, our writer of that episode had felt really passionate about. She'd done a lot of work in that. 
Um, so I think that's sort of an example of like, it doesn't matter the genre. Like there's always an opportunity for humor. There's always an opportunity for like a scary moment, all these other things. But I think what grounds all of it is like that human experience, like for Emily and Sarah, that sort of humanity of like, what does it feel like as an actor to always crave this thing or want this thing? And like, now you have this thing and, you know, sort of like for Chris, like, what is the show you just want to see? You know, I think if you fuse it with a lot of just sort of emotional truth, which sort of sounds like a woo-woo word, but I think there's some, you know, reality to that, then hopefully your audience sort of can connect with it, you know, because otherwise it's just sort of, you know, it's just a story, which they're all all stories. But I, I guess for me, the stuff I always gravitate towards most is like, what makes me feel something? And I think by by like for us writers if we were able to sort of put that in our writing then that makes the writing better and the storytelling better absolutely um and i want to i'm gonna follow up um on that in a second but before i do because uh, we'll start to wrap up i want to ask um sarah and emily do you have any questions about family guy for chris i don't have a question i have a comment i'm not lying to you my brother and sister's favorite show of all time Oh, is that right? That's, They're that's 27 and 25 and they favorite show constantly sending me, I don't know if it's gifts or gifs, whichever it is, constantly sending me memes, just favorite <laughs> show of all time. So I'm totally, I'm not a cool sister, but today I'm a cool sister. So thank you. <laughs> that's very cool. That's good to hear. Are they a little disappointed that you're like off writing other stuff? They're just disappointed in me in general. I feel like I'm just like the lame older sister. So I can never do anything cool in their eyes. But today I win. Today I've won. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Twilight Zone is pretty cool. <laughs> they don't care. Um, they don't care. I want, to, <laughs> I want to pick up on something that Nancy was talking about. Um, and, you know, it's it's a tough question, but like it's a process question. And that is, you know, our goal in writing is so often to um, be emotionally honest, right? To dig deep and get that on the page. How do you do it? Let me ask all of you um, and anyone who wants to jump in can answer. The more you talk to each other, the better this is. But, um, you know, like, especially under a deadline, how do you get yourself to that place, but even not under a deadline, even just working on, you know, a spec for yourself. How do you get yourself to that emotional place? I'll, I'll well, jump in everybody's real quick. answering? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll just say, uh, because I think Emily and Sarah hit on it earlier, which is they have this great skill set that they can bring to their writing, which is acting. But I think every great writer has to be an actor. Now, you don't necessarily have to be on stage, but you have to act. You have to know these characters. Like, I often, when I'm writing especially when we're writing, if I'm writing an emotional scene, you know, there was a scene between uh, two women on our show that I was writing and I was crying while I was writing it. Like, because what, it was really sad for one of the women. And in that scene, I was her when I, you know, you just have to, my process is to sort of know the character so well that you are in their body again, woo woo like, but you, but you feel, you're feeling everything that they're feeling. Otherwise, you're not going to write the true version of that character. Um, and I feel like you really just have to sink into it and allow yourself that freedom. And for me, as much as possible, ignore the deadlines. Deadline, I mean, don't ignore the deadlines. Try to ignore the stress of the deadline because that to me is is the death of true creativity. When that stress hits you, I mean, stress might make you write faster. It never makes you write better. If you can try to put that aside and just be in the moment when you're writing, 
for me, that's what helps. And that's what helps me get to, you know, the emotional truth of what the character is going through and how that might tap into something I've been through, whether it's a woman or man or 70 or 10, like there's, there's so much truth in all these characters that you're writing. If you can somehow put yourself inside of that and feel it to me, that, that can help draw it out of you and, and allow yourself the freedom to, to, to do it is helpful for me. I don't know if, if you guys understand or do the same. Yeah. I, I just want to piggyback Absolutely. off of that. Cause I, I mean, I totally feel that. At, um, and especially for characters, for us characters who are sort of bad guys, quote unquote, bad guys. I think so much of, of getting into the emotion of a scene is about being able to inhabit their body as well. And this works in, in acting too. You can never judge your character. You can never judge who you are. Like everybody is the hero in their own story. No, no bad guys thinking I'm the bad guy. <laughs> so, you know, even in, um, you know, thinking about uh, just going back to our episode, Meet in the Middle, our main character is played by Jimmy Simpson, who did such an amazing job. He did such a great job of turning this kind of bad, ugly person, not ugly, not physically ugly, inner ugly, like an, an incel who, who wanted to sort of um, control women <laughs> or impress his idea of women onto everybody. Um, and, you know, they're so maligned in our society, but I think getting to the emotional core of it was about how do we get inside this person's mind and, and see where they're coming from. He's not thinking I'm a bad incel guy. You know, he's thinking like, I just want to be loved. I, I want, mm-hmm. I want people I'm to so love unlucky. me. What's wrong with me that right. I, that I can't be loved. And there's mm-hmm. something so just emotional about that. I feel like mm-hmm. kind of, you know, caught up in my chest thinking about it of, of someone just wanting so badly um, to be loved that, that anyone can really relate to that, whether or not they're the antagonist, the protagonist. I think that makes so much sense. And there's something, um, I think also to the idea of like what you guys are saying, which is like you, part of that role of immersing yourself too, is you have to be willing to bail if it doesn't feel honest, you know? And I think that's the way to help also keep it emotionally honest as you go through your writing is, you know, like I, I don't like ditching scenes because then I'm like, ah, I just have to rebreak the whole thing now. You know, like you get frustrated because you're like, that's more work. But if it doesn't feel like if you're if you're trying to build towards something like inorganically, then I think you f- you feel that. Um, and I think you know you have to be willing to sort of to change that a little bit. I think something that also helps me, um, at least. Like we on our show, we sort of ask like you know in each scene, like know what your character wants in that scene, like know what they're coming in wanting know what they're coming in hurting or feeling like what's the wound in that scene so that that can inform their emotional state um but i also find that like as i'm breaking an episode of tv or like as i'm breaking like my own work there's always like one scene in that i feel is sort of like the core emotional scene to something you know like if you really like look back like i don't i may not know it in the moment but like when i look back at a finished script or like i finished a draft or whatever I often find that there's one thing that sort of crystallizes either the thought of the episode or the emotion of the episode um, or the emotion of the the pilot and the story I'm trying to tell. And I think that's when it, it's helpful to go back in and sort of like really track that particular scene um, for me, at least, because I find that that ends up dictating so much of like the dominoes of everything else. You know, like there's always you're either building towards like a big emotional explosion or you're building towards, you know, but there's always one. So um, I I tend to find that to be very helpful. Like once I can identify what that is, I can really hone in on what I want that scene to be or what that scene wants is telling me it should be. Um, And then sort of like tracking that ripple effect. And I think that helps me 
keep the story a little bit more emotionally realistic. And that's so true. And I think we don't talk about it very much, but there's so often like that keystone scene. And that's, I don't know, for me anyway, it's always the one I'm most excited to write too. And it's like the thing that everything else grows out of. Like half fear and half excitement. You're like, oh, this is going to be a great scene. And you're like, oh shit, I got to deliver on this scene. You know what I mean? It's like half and half. And you're like, no. <laughs> totally. I can't blow this. Yeah. Um, let, let me uh, wrap up as we always do by asking you what you all are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your family, your loved ones, the room that you're in, your writing partner? Um, Chris, what are you watching these days? Uh, I just finished watching a show called Broadchurch. And I don't know if anybody's seen that, but it's, right. I mean, it's not new, but it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I feel like other shows have started, people, people don't know what it is. It's uh, Livia Coleman, is that her name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a British crime drama that's just so brilliantly done. Um, yeah, that's, I just finished that. And then I, we just started The Fall. Um, I'm currently watching The Fall, uh, Ray Donovan, um, that's kind of it now. That's a lot of light viewing. <laughs> it's all dark. Like that was the other thing when I did Resident Alien. I'm like, I just, and I love those dark things, but I, I wanted to infuse some kind of hope and like happiness in the world if possible. Um, but I do like the dark stuff. I love the Twilight Zone. I love it. <laughs> um, Sarah, what are you watching? Um, I have just started pen 15 for the third time. Uh, I've watched it all the way through twice. I'm on my third watch. I'm obsessed with that show. Um, I just watched rewatched Dave for the second time. Um, and I love that show as well. And then what was it? Oh, the crown. I just caught up with the crown because I'm obsessed with that show, but I had gotten a little behind. Um, and so I'm fully caught up with the crown. And then when I'm not watching like scripted shows i'm constantly watching great british baking show because it just brings so much joy. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> have i baked anything absolutely not i mean i've <laughs> watched eight seasons and i haven't baked a single thing um but i just love watching it they're just so kind to each other it's most generous competition but yeah it is <laughs> so lovely <laughs> i feel like all the cooking competitions should have like a thing <clears throat> at the end of every episode where you can order the food yeah, you just see it and you're just salivating over this stuff. And I feel like there should be like some sort of tie in with all the cooking shows. Yes, I agree. Uh, Nancy, what are you watching on TV? Uh, we are, my wife and I are currently watching. Um, we usually sort of vacillate in sort of our moods. And right now we're, uh, we're starting our Ted Lasso rewatch um, because I think we all just need a little joy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we're also watching WandaVision, which I think is yes. really yes. interesting. Yes. Oh, it's um, so good. But to just even something we discussed earlier, like cross genre, right? Like it's mm -hmm. this deep exploration of grief, like mixed with, you know, like all these different elements. Like I feel like when you can combine that, that's sort of like a really nice sweet spot for stuff. So yeah. we are very excited um, and very sad for the uh Finale Tonight, that will, right? yeah, yeah no, to, and then you have to stay offline because I don't know who these people are. Like, I'm like old now. Like, I don't, like, I'm like, who are these people staying up to midnight and then like posting immediately about it? I'm like, no. <laughs> um, and then uh, my wife, who never used to watch uh, uh, reality shows, um, she's a mental health professional, she is a civilian, and uh, just I used to like when we started dating, um, I would watch it. She would go to bed early and I was a night owl. And 
she would go to bed and I would watch my shows because um, she just didn't like want to be around people yelling at each other. I feel like the pandemic broke, broke her because now she watches Bravo with me. And I can't tell if this is like a good or bad thing that I did this to her. I can't tell. I know. I know. I did, I did this to her. I feel like there's nobody to blame but myself. Um, so, yeah. Oh, my God. I feel like your wife. I never used to watch anything. And now I'm like, The Bachelor? Yes. Never watched a single episode of The Bachelor. And now I'm like, who is Matt going to pick? I'm like, why do I know this man's name? It's awful. But the pandemic broke me like it broke yeah. away. <laughs> she's 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 a different person now. <laughs> um I have one for both of you which is another gentle reality show uh called Grand Designs. It's a, a British uh architecture show. There are Ooh. two seasons on Netflix, two seasons on Amazon. Uh the host is terrific. It's great. And it's all very like pleasant. Um, I'm here for um, pleasant. Emily, take us home. I'm a bad person to end on because I have a newborn, so I'm not watching anything. <laughs> um, Congratulations. Thank you. Amazing. But we, we, uh, the pandemic also broke us. So like, I, I just wanted to rewatch things that gave me joy is before the baby came. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now all we're watching is WandaVision. That's, you know, that's cause we make time after the baby's asleep or something. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, the, I just want things to make me la- to yeah make me laugh. So I watched all of The Office, the American Office, and I watched all mm-hmm. of the British Office, and uh, and I started watching a show called Stathlet's Flats. If any nobody has ever watched this show, it's on HBO Max. It's it's a British show. It is so funny. It's it's um Jamie Dimitru who is uh his sister is on um. We do what we shadows. do in the shadows. Yeah. Mm. It's about a British lettings agent, which is like a real estate agent. It has nothing to do with anything in the world in the pandemic and politics. Nothing it has nothing to do with anything. It's, it's a little bit like um, old office meets new office, uh, kind of a crossover. Anyway, it's very silly and dumb and funny. And uh, I would highly, highly recommend. <laughs> what is it called? That's a great recommendation. That staff lets flats. It's a weird one. I mean, uh, get through the first two episodes and then it just gets very weird. I love it. On it tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me know what you think. <laughs> thank, you. Great. Um, thank you all so much for chatting today. It was great to talk with you all. Um, please come back anytime. Come plug something. Don't plug anything. Whatever you want. Uh, this has been great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thank thanks you for having us. It's fun. Nice, meet- nice meeting all of you. Yeah, nice meeting you guys. Yeah. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.